Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name is Matt Southcombe and today I'm joined by Andy Howell and Simon Thomas. Uh, good afternoon, chaps. How are we? Very good, thank you. Good afternoon. Um, Andy, you know you've been to the gym this afternoon. How are you feeling? I feel better now, Matt, after smashing those pedals around on a bike thinking of you in your face. <laughs> oh, cheers. I tell you what, you're out on the road as well at the moment. I'm half the man I used to be, Matt. Pounding a road? I, this morning, saw a number of my scales I haven't seen for quite a while, which is <laughs> an achievement. Dry January, no white bread, run in again, change man. There you are. And uh, the youngest one, you and I haven't been to the gym since Monday. <laughs> there you are. Sure. I have, I, I've had a busier week than you, my days. How is that? I've been up in London at the Six Nations launch. Exciting times, exciting times. Um, anyway, on with the show. We should uh, first apologise. We've um, we're a little bit late on the show this week. Uh, as already mentioned, there's been a lot going on, and uh, but it's no excuse. We will uh, endeavour to do better in the future. Uh, lots to get through in the news uh, this week. Uh, there's been a potential fixture clash uh, in Welsh rugby once again, this time involving the Ospreys, and we'll get into that in further detail in a moment. Um, there's a proposal from the RFU to, uh, for a five-week Six Nations. Um, interesting, to say the least, and we'll have a chat about that. Um, there's been some sad news uh, at London Welsh this week. Um, more from the Welsh Rugby Union uh, regarding the A-team and the under-20s. Um, we obviously had the Six Nations launch that we'll come to, um, and the regions are in Anglo-Welsh action this week. So lots to get through, chaps. Um, straight in with it then, Simon. Yes. The Ospreys and Stade Francais will play their match. Uh, the quarter-final of the European Challenge Cup on April the 2nd at quarter to six. Um, Putting the, t- put the time to one side at the moment, which I've got my own views on. April the 2nd is a problem, potentially. Uh, just explain why that is. Well, it's a bit of a pickle, this, isn't it, really? It's, it it's become a real saga this week. Let's go to the start of the of the, the whole situation with that quarter-final. Great that they threw 30 points, first team ever to get the maximum Europe. Couldn't have been better, but, but since last weekend, there's been one thing after another. First, we, we studied the rules and discovered that if the Ospreys' top seeds win their quarter-final, they could end up being a way to breathe in the semi-final. <laughs> do the rather bizarre um, formula they've got for the, the semi-final draw. Um, it would be strange, wouldn't it? You'd have the number one seeds having to travel to the number five seeds. Anyway, we've had that. Then on top of that, we learned a couple of days later that they might not be able to announce um, the date of the fixture until February the 27th because of potential clashes with football and matches maybe being moved. So we thought we're going to have to wait a little while then to know when the game is going to be. Lo and behold, then midday Friday, we have uh, the date confirmed, we have the kickoff time confirmed, but we don't know where the game's going to be played. You couldn't make it up, could you? Madness. Bottom line of it is that Swansea City are due to play Middlesbrough 3 o'clock on the April the 1st, April Fool's Day, rather appropriately. <laughs> and uh, there is a potential uh, for that game to be moved if television decide that they want to show it and you know it could potentially be a six pointer relegation yeah, battle could, be, could be so it's difficult really for the, now the, the Ospreys at the start of the week put tickets on sale for a game at the Liberty Stadium but obviously they weren't able to say when the game was going to be and they presumed that what would happen the other fixtures would be confirmed and maybe it would be Ospreys be Stade Francais Liberty Stadium date to be confirmed but the organisers of the tournament have decided they can't wait They've got to give a definite time, so they've done that. But we can't say it's going to be the Liberty Stadium because there's no way the Ospreys now can sell tickets with Liberty Stadium written or or can present it as a Liberty Stadium game because under the terms of their lease, if the Swans are playing there that day, they can't play there. Mm. So they've got to now wait and keep fingers very, very firmly crossed 
that the TV broadcasters don't look to move Swansea and Middlesbrough to the Sunday because then you'll have a clash. The game's got to go ahead of there, the organisers say. So that, Andy, then gives a situation. Where would they play the game? Well, they can't play it anywhere else in the Osprey's region because it's not a stadium with a large enough capacity because you've got a minimum number of uh, a minimum number of attendance. They're playing tomorrow at the uh, Brewery Field mm. uh, in the Anglo Welsh Cup. Is that big enough? Uh, but that's not big enough. Capacity's not big enough. So the alternatives are to shift the game to Cardiff or to Lanethy for a real West Wales game. However, my understanding is they won't move it to Lanethy in a thousand years. <laughs> uh, so it'd be more likely it, if there is a clash. We hope there's not. Uh, it would probably end up the game being played somewhere in in Cardiff. But I must say, when the clubs took over Europe. They came out with all this, how they were going to improve it, how they were going to be more professional, more sponsorship, etc. And so far, as far as I'm concerned, they failed miserably. They know better than when the unions were organising the Heineken Cup. If I you, know what Simon thinks of that. I, I've been disappointed in it, disappointed in the organisation. And If you take aside the clash of the fixture, what kind of date is that for Stade Francais fans? 5.45 on a Sunday. That's, that's hardly, a shambles. You know, that's hardly very... You know, we've, the Blues have got eight oh five past 8... Um, on a Saturday, which aside from anything else, isn't very good for our deadline for Wales on Sunday. <laughs> but you know, it's not. I think if you look at the last trains, I had a quick cursory glance. The last train from Gloucester to Cardiff was going to be a tight old squeeze to get back on that squeeze in many ways. If that's the only train available, yeah, yeah. Dicky Holland, the Blues, will have to have a convoy of buses going down there. I think at this, that's not good, is it? Yeah. Um, to be honest, though, Simon, to be yeah. honest, fans don't matter anymore, do they? It's all about TV schedules. TV broadcast deals, that's a pays the wages of the players, where there's money from Six Nations broadcasting, Europe or whatever, the end of the day, any the number of fans that turn up at a match is a bonus. It's all about broadcasters. The broadcasters said you've got to kick off at 2am in the morning, that's what would happen. So the thing is as well, I mean, you've got this, and then on top of that, you've got the end of season clash between the Newport Garden Dragons and Newport County. It does show the potential problems you have when football and rugby share a facility. Yeah, and it's a shame that we've got these um, these issues because these are two proper European ties that you know I was excited about when they were drawn, and I'm sure all the fans are excited. So to be unable to start planning your trips when the fixtures are announced, well... In the Ospreys' case, anyway, for Stade Francais fans, you know, this is a real disappointment at the moment. The it? thing I don't get, right, is they've they've rushed and said, right, we've got to say it's on that date. But we've seen in the past where you've had um, semi-finals and quarter-finals, or the gap between the quarters and the semis sometimes just a couple of weeks. Yeah, the fans yeah. and organisers have to arrange those in two yeah, weeks. Yeah. These games aren't until March, end of March. Yeah. I don't see there was any great problem with waiting until next month when TV confirmed their fixtures. All you had to say was Ospreys v Stade Francais, Liberty Stadium, date to be confirmed. You know you could either play it on the Thursday or the Sunday. One of those is bound to be available. Just mm. do that. I don't quite understand. Unless there's some kind of pressure that they have to have a time so that they can offer it to the broadcasters. I, it baffles me. Anyway, talk, when, the, when it comes to the rugby, this is a good chance for the Ospreys in Europe. Oh, it's a fantastic uh, opportunity, isn't it? Um, you know, the top seeds, maximum number of points, uh, playing Stade Francais at home, it's a match I would expect the uh, Ospreys uh, to win. And then the, uh, the semi-final draw is pretty... It's pretty decent for them. Uh, they're certainly capable of winning this tournament. Of course, what Simon said earlier, uh, with the other anomaly of uh, how the form of the competition now, they could have win, top seeds, win the next match, and yet have to go away in the semi-finals, which, again, is an utter travesty. What the heck are the organisers doing? You're supposed to be rewarded, like in every other competition, for being top seeds. 
It was didn't I read somewhere that one of the reasons for that was to give um, a team like Breven more of an incentive to yeah, win? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the incentive is winning the group, isn't <laughs> yes, it? And top in the seeds. Yeah, what they've said is that they want to recognise any side that wins away in the quarterfinal. That's fine. If you want to reward that, but surely a team that's got thirty points out of thirty should yeah. have the greater reward. Or if not, if you're saying right, your reward is the quarterfinal, fine, and then have an open draw. Yeah. This it seems yeah. a bit bizarre. Well, I mean, ironically, it, the, the the scenario, the formula works for Cardiff Blues because if they can win at Gloucester, the likelihood is they'll play Edinburgh, and they and they would then be at home to Edinburgh. Yeah, so it, it, it swings both ways, yeah, you know. Exactly. Because they think the Ospreys could end up at Bath. I would say that I watched the Stade Francais against Harlequins game last weekend, and um, Stade were good. I mean, Harlequins have been a bit of a disappointment in recent weeks, but they were looked a good side. But how how keen will they be? Because I think they're they're not in a great position in the league. Come March, April time, how important will be. But I think you shouldn't take it for granted. If, if Stad come fully loaded, it could be a decent game. Stad have been in this final uh, twice previously. The last occasion was in Cardiff, a Cardiff uh, City uh, Stadium, when Harley Quinn's pipped them in the final. Uh, Sergio Perezzi, uh left the field, uh, expressing his uh, anger at the referee. I think it was a certain Irishman, wasn't it? Called George Fancy. <laughs> Afterwards, Michael Check, another the Australian uh, coach, went off on one in a press conference. And as he was, uh, as he was uh, condemning the referee in that game, as journalists in the uh, journalists they included myself were saying, "That's another thousand pound fine." Here's another thousand. As each word was trotted out, and sure enough. He did cop a big one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, from a Blues perspective, then, Si, um, you mentioned the five past eight kickoff. On the bright side, I believe there's a cider festival in Gloucester on that day, so it could be a lively atmosphere. <laughs> I, I tell you what, if, there, if I was a Blues fan going down, working and not working, and just going to watch that game, I think I'd be making a double header of it, the cider festival. Oh, it's, it's a great day out, potentially. Yeah, but the kickoff time is that late. How many people will still be stood up to be able to attend the game? It'd be a day, a day in the Orchard, and then a, a day at the King's Home. Um, yeah, it should be. Well, I know that. In all seriousness, speaking to the Blues, they are um, looking to sort of put on a number of buses mm. for fans. They really want to make this a big day out. I'm not quite sure how it works in terms of the away team fan allocation. I think, I think King's Home is about twelve, thirteen thousand now. No, something it's more than that. Is it more than that now? So anyway, the point is, I think even though it is a late kickoff, I think there's ways, ways and means. And I think you will have a, a big turnout. Um, I, it, it brings to mind, I don't know if Andy remembers it, when Lynn Howells was coach of, of Cardiff, pre-regional days, they got they were going flying high with a good team, you know, Howley Jenkins, you know, um, Dan Barker Carla, it was a really strong team, Gareth Thomas, I think, was there as well, you know, J- Jamie Robinson, Nicky, they were, you know, it was a good side, and they got through to the quarterfinals yeah. of the Heineken Cup, and they got drawn away to Gloucester, and, and I remember I got, I, I got the train, mm-hmm. I got the train up to uh, to the game, I was working for the South Wales Echo at the time, covering the game, and I always remember, there was Cardiff Blues fans, they're on the way up, about one o'clock in the afternoon, drinking champagne, it suffice to say that when they were coming home, they were not drinking. That was the day where Steve Jomo was man of the match, and uh, I think Di Young had quite a tough time from Trevor Woodman. Trevor Woodman gave him a uh, few lessons. <laughs> I think Di realised he probably was coming towards the end of his career. Yeah. But, it's fair uh, to say the champagne went flat. It did go flat. <laughs> but what I would say, that is a cracking place to watch rugby. King's on yeah, the, the shed. Is hey, hey, Matt, I was there last season when the Dragons produced a stunning upset, same stage of the competition, apart Gloucester, out of the tournament. Yeah, yeah. 
you know it was great stuff it really silenced that you shed I think the other thing to say about that end of March you would probably think that the Blues would have a few of the injured people back possibly getting Jenkins to be back for that they've got people coming back now from injury you are starting to see a slightly stronger side I think that'd be a really good contest I've seen Gloucester a couple of times this season they've blown hot and cold Moriarty, obviously, you know, it's been excellent for them, but uh, they, uh, they'll have a chance up there. Yeah. Lost a beatable, the Blues are not great away. That's yeah, the, another, uh, the issue. Uh, another proper proper European tie, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the quarterfinals when they do come around. Um, onwards we go to the Six Nations launch. Uh, I was up there with Mark Orders, our colleague. Uh, do you enjoy it, Matty? Oh, <laughs> always nice to get away from the office, eh, and yourself. Yeah, is that yeah? I think that was one of your. Uh, is that your first visit there? Second one up. I missed last year. I went the year before. Second yeah. one. So. so, so, what was it like? Tell us about. Busy. It. It's it's always a busy day, as as you well know. Um, I was speaking to a former colleague of ours. He wasn't there, but I spoke on the phone to Gareth Griffiths, and he said he'd been to the last twelve in a row, and this is the first one he missed. So he was devastated. But nice, Hurlingham Club up in uh, Wandsworth up there. It's very nice surroundings and that, but there's a lot going on and. You know, you, you've got to be careful with how you phrase your questions to players and coaches because I think Wales had to do over 20 interviews on the day. So, you know, you can imagine from their perspective, it's a bit of a tough one. But um, no, it was a good day. Good day. Lots to do. Lots to talk I, about. I, I was off for the day, which is why I, I didn't go straight. Strange scheduling for me, that was. Um, <laughs> so I was watching from home and uh, I, didn't know, I, I still remember having seen first footage of Mr. Edward Jones's eye. Yes. And I thought, ah. Ah, there's the story yeah, of the day. Yeah. And I, so far, Matthew, I've heard about four different stories about how the uh, the Aussie uh, acquired that injury. So what's the truth? Well, I was I, I, I barely finished my bacon roll before <laughs> the uh, the stories began emerging and we'd seen pictures of uh, Eddie Jones with his, uh, with his big uh, bruise on his scar on his face. Um, when he was asked about it in the press conference that I was in, he said that he slipped getting out of the shower. Um, that morning, there was another story um, that he did it during training in Portugal. The England are on a on a camp in Portugal, or they were at the start of the week, and he said he did it whilst doing some MMA or judo or something like that. Um, another version was that he slipped on the ice on the way into uh, the Hurlingham Club on Wednesday. But uh, personally, I think he must. I believe that when he told us about falling out of the shower, because that looked pretty fresh, and I gotta be honest, it looked quite painful as well. So fair play to him for showing he up. He did have Dylan Hartley with him, mind uh, Matt, and Dylan's <laughs> got a bit of a record on the pitch. Yeah, uh, to be fair, right? When when um, Dylan Hartley wasn't, uh, I'm going to say forthcoming with many of his answers in the press conferences, um, but <laughs> Eddie Jones was jumping in at times, and Dylan was giving him some looks. It's a pretty interesting relationship. That is, I remember. One question to Dylan Hartley was, um, you've been out for a while now, have you ever been asked to come straight back into an international team after being out for a period of time? And before he could say anything, Eddie Jones jumped in, 60 weeks mate, he's been banned for 60 weeks of his career, of course he's used to it, he's an expert at it. And uh, I, I'm not sure how that went down with Dylan Hartley, but uh, no, I, I, fair play to Eddie Jones for coming out and fronting up and I was quite impressed with Rob Howley as well, actually. Um, I, just, I just think on Eddie Jones, I did see a, a few suggestions maybe he acquired that injury when he told Mr Hartley he wasn't going to be captain. Um, <laughs> but I tell you what, accident, yeah, but it it, it served its me- a purpose, didn't it? Because suddenly that became the story rather than Hartley continuing as captain after his latest ban. It, it completely took away the attention from that. Did, yeah. but you were impressed with um, Eddie Jones, I know you said that. What what was what was Rob Howley's demeanour? Yeah, he was, he was relaxed. I wondered how he, how he would how he would be feeling because it's um, like you say he's, he's used to dealing with the media he's, he's been in the job for a long time and obviously he was a professional rugby player before that but um, it's a different kettle of fish I think when you're in the hot seat and there's a, there was a lot of media up there 
um, on Wednesday, and he, I thought he did all right. He was um, he was good. He gave some good answers. He was quite relaxed, and you know sometimes he can talk in riddles as as we've as we've seen in the past. But he, he um, no, he was pretty pretty straightforward. And Alan Wynne Jones as well, another one who I wondered how we you know we've all had various run-ins with Alan Wynne, um, but uh, no, he was good as well. And but you can already sense that there's a little change in the captaincy with Wales. He gave one answer. Um, one of the questions was uh, in terms of getting people to follow you. Is that governed by your performance, Alan Wynne? And he said straight away, I don't want followers. Followers are for Twitter. I want people who can make their own decisions. And it wasn't quite what he said. It was the way he said it. And you just can't... I could never imagine Sam Warburton addressing a question like that. Steely gaze. It was, yeah. And he, he sneered at one question suggesting that um, now he's Wales captain. It's easier for him to be selected for the Lions. He, he laughed and gave that a very short and sharp answer. So, um, But no, it, it was a good um, good day all around. And, and I think the Welsh camp put themselves across, across uh, quite well. Conor O'Shea as well was another one who came across well. Italy had coach first Six Nations. Lots of rebuilding to do in Italy, but um, he was very likeable. And um, They're targeting us, aren't they? They are. They are targeting us. You, everything you read, this is they're going full pelt for this well, first they game. Would, they would, because Italy's problem in the Six Nations is it's a war of attrition. And after a few games, they have injuries. Mm. They just get worn out, basically, and they start to fall apart a bit. So they always target the first game. Wales at home, they'd be really up for that game. Wouldn't it? And let's don't forget as well, they, they also beat South Africa in the autumn. Yeah, well, I said to him, I said, what can Wales expect from you when they come to Rome on the first weekend? And he just, with a smile on his face, he said, an easy game. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's, there's no way. And then I, I Parise that, chuckled next to him. As well. I, I believe it, it, it's you two. You two are going to Rome. Yes, yeah, it is. What can possibly go wrong? On tour. Yeah, on tour. Taking Matthew under my wing. He hasn't been to Rome before. First time in Rome. Even though, just in case he gets lost on the way from the airport to the hotel, I have given him the address of the hotel and I might actually disappear and see if he can find it in <laughs> I'm very resourceful I'm good when I'm away honest good with directions and, uh, and foreign languages and such um, so yeah busy day at the captain's launch um, one of the things that come out of that Si was that uh, the RFU have put forward proposals for a five week six nations just to clarify it, it's really the clubs, oh, the clubs it, it's, okay. the, it's the English clubs that propose it that's one of two proposals on the table from France, there was a suggestion of condensing it to six weeks. So anyway, there's this move afoot now. After the next World Cup, so we're talking post-2019, um, the suggestion that it would move from seven weeks either to six or to five as the English clubs wanted. And I sat down the week and I sort of did a piece on the pros and the cons. And I do find myself a little bit conflicted about it. I can see in some ways it makes sense because... You do at the moment have a large chunk of the season where players are away from their clubs, away from their provinces, their regions, and that can have a knock-down effect, particularly in the Pro 12, where certain teams lose so many players. Um, the Ospreys, Glasgow, Spring to mind, Leinster, they do suffer disproportionately. In England and France, probably the load is spread a little bit um, lighter. So you could see the benefits there. But then on the other hand, you have the concerns about player welfare because we all know what modern international rugby is like car crash. You know, to have five yeah. of those in consecutive weeks, you're either going to end up with people's bodies battered to hell and probably not able to play for their clubs for a while, or realistically, you're going to have star names having to be rested from Six Nations games. And one of the beauties of the Six Nations is always pretty much that you have the first full-strength teams for every game. It's different to the World Cup. In the World Cup, you're going to get your Namibias or your Uruguays where you can you know, use your squad and, and, and keep the players back. Yeah. You can't really do that in the Six Nations. Yeah, in the Rugby Championship, they have rest periods. 
because you just can't do it week in week out. What would concern me if the if it is a condensed Six Nations is the effect it would have on the smaller nations like Italy, like Scotland, and even Wales as it currently stands who have a smaller pool of uh, players. I think it'd be okay for uh, England and France who have a much larger pool of players uh, to pick from and have got real potentially real strength in depth. Although the French haven't done so well for a few years, and you know I'd almost class Ireland up there with, with them as well because they've got a lot of strength in depth. Uh, these days but imagine Italy or Scotland playing five weeks in a row and an injury just building up building up they'd be out on their feet yeah. by the end of the tournament wouldn't be fair on them and the other thing as Andy said fans aren't considered when it comes to Europe again how much the fans being considered here mm-hmm. you know having f- games in successive weekends is going to increase the likelihood of two away games in successive weeks mm-hmm. and that's asking a heck of a lot of fans both in terms of the, their pockets and the travelling to maybe you have to go to sort of Rome one week and Edinburgh the next. It, mm. it, it's, it's not very fran- fan friendly, but as we know, that isn't always the priority, is it? Yeah, well, nowadays a TV fan is more important than the actual spectator turns up at games, I'm afraid. I'm not sure there's, there's not a lot of conflict in my mind. I'm not in favour of this at all. I mean, I remember something that stuck with me from the World Cup was Sean Edwards pointed out that the Six Nations is, is, is what it is because they have these breaks and they are able to continually pick the best players week in, week out. And um, you saw how many injuries Wales picked up at the World Cup because they're playing yeah. high-intensity international matches you know, in a short space of time. And I think you'll just get what Simon alluded to. You'll get players who are, who are just reaching the limit that they can go to and they'll get injured and then they're going to miss action for their clubs anyway. I spoke to the English clubs, I spoke to some of the English clubs off the record this week and one of the things he pointed out, oh, yes, well, there will be there'll be rest periods built into the season. You know, one maybe or two weeks after the autumn and a couple of weeks after the Six Nations but the damage might be done to the players by then already yeah. you know it, it's such a battering international rugby these days and to play five games in five weeks it, it, to, you know I think it'd be impossible to select the same sides and once you're having to rest players you are devaluing the competition a bit yeah, so yeah. I'm swinging that way now yeah. convince me I, I just can't see it I really can't I just think it's too much to ask of the players and you know, you, you've got to put. We, there's so much talk about player welfare these days. You've got to put those guys. In I, the front I, I do think it is worth saying, though, in fairness, that it, this is part of a wider look at the whole structuring of the season and this old global season thing. It's tied in with the, the, the plan that there wouldn't be um, summer tours after a World Cup, okay. and also with having no more matches outside the international window. Now that I'm all for. I think the four in the autumn, it, it, it's too many, and it affects the domestic game too. too but then, of course, that fourth match is a money spinner. So it's, I can see it's a chicken and egg situation. Fourth match pay, pays for the professional game. It's that's very the problem. difficult. That's why there's so many international matches is mm. to pay for the professional Catch 22, game. isn't it? You know, mm. yeah. You know, without those games, how many professional players would there be in Wales? I'm not so sure. All right, moving on. Um, another one that came out not long after we did the last podcast, actually. And Simon, you were in that day. I think you did the story actually about the Wales under twenties and the and the new eight team. And this really, really got my back up. Um, I knew just, you were happy with you. Just explain what this is all about. Well, I went down to see Geraint John, who was at the launch of the uh, the announcement of the Wales under twenty squad, which perhaps we'll touch on in a second. Talked about lots of things, uh, Premiership, the British and Irish Cup. But one of the things we talked about was this whole issue of Wales A, because we've obviously. Done a few stories on the fact that there was a plan to bring the Wales A team back this season, but for various reasons they've not been able to get a fixture. They've been hoping to—they're actually hoping to play Ireland tonight. This was the date, oh. yeah, and they'd picked a squad. 
but they couldn't get it together. England, they couldn't find the date that worked for them. So for various reasons, they haven't been able to get a fixture. But there's a continuing commitment to Wales A. And what they've now decided is that Wales A will become our capture team. Now, for, to explain what that means, it means that if you play for Wales A against another country that has Wales A as their capture team, it's actually essentially their second string, then you're tied to Wales, right? Mm -hmm. In the past, it's been the under-20s, so if you played for Wales in the 20s against a similar side, i.e. France, who have the under-20s as their capture, you're tied. The case to explain it to people is Stephen Shingler, now with the Cardiff Blues, formerly of the Scarlets. He had played for Wales in the 20, was then... Um, picked uh, in the Scotland squad, I think three or four years maybe ago, because uh, he's got family links to Scotland. Mm -hmm. But the, it, it went to tribunal effectively, and he was told he, could, he couldn't play for Wales. He was tired. Now, what they've decided, even though there's no fixtures this season, this is <laughs> even though there's no fixtures, it doesn't matter apparently. All you have to do is designate Wales A as your capture team. So what it does mean is that there will no longer be a concern for English-based players in coming into the Wales in the 20s camp. In the past, it's been a problem because the English clubs get payments for the RFU for all the English-qualified, or perhaps more importantly, non-English non qualified, if you see what I mean, players. So it's better for a young player coming through not to commit himself to Wales because then he doesn't affect the quotas of his club. So you can understand. So you had the examples of Callum Sheedy and Rory Bartle um, now Bristol and London Scottish respectively, who pulled out of the Wales in the 20s squad a couple of years ago because they didn't want to tie themselves and affect their club status. Now the thinking is, oh, but there no longer will be a problem with English-based players coming into the camp because they're not going to jeopardise their club situation. And then they're thinking is, once they come in, they see the facilities of the bar, <laughs> wow, I'll stay with Wales. Oh, That's the thinking. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> but I, what are you thinking? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't there be a reverse effect though? It means Welsh players, youngsters, can leave Wales without uh, uh, without um, uh, fear and it could jeopardise their own uh, Welsh chances. And once they're in the English fold, i.e. clubs across the border, those clubs are being their heroes, trying to persuade them to, uh, to um, uh, throw in their allegiance with England. It, it's an issue and I think it would, if they're going to do this, they would have to do hand in hand with really putting in place a, situ a system where they can say to 16 and 17 year olds, you don't have to go to Hartbury College, you don't have to go to Colston, you don't have to go to Millfield, we will offer you a rugby stroke academic opportunity here in Wales that means you can stay. That's why people have gone in the past because they're fantastic facilities. Mm. Now in fairness with Cardiff in the Vale, College of Camoy and places like that, they are at least trying to do These that. These Albert College, they've got fantastic facilities called Landassi with the Osprey's training because the uh, Osprey's rent, you know, rented off them at uh, times. But Nice Sports Albert College means struggling to get for players, which is mm. extraordinary because they were once a dominant team. I, I, what they pointed to the fact was that in the Wales under twenty squad for this year's Six Nations, there are two English-based players, including Max Clark, um, Newcastle, highly rated. Harry Randall, is it? Uh, uh, not, no, he's not involved. Um, Max Clark, who's played for England under 18s and under 19s, and now he's got Welsh links, and he's been brought on board. And the, these the point they were making was last year they couldn't even get them in the building. Yeah. Now at least they've got them in the system, and the hope is once you're in the Welsh system, they might be able to hold on to them. It's a big might. Yeah, yeah, but, but they say that as though the Welsh system is brilliant and all. Yeah, and okay, this is my point. it is good. But who's won about three of the last four under twenty World Cups? England. So surely ah. they are doing something right here's in England. A, yeah, but here's an interesting point. 
I think it was four or five of the team that won the most recent England Twenty World Cup had Welsh qualifications. And their argument is that with this change, those players would be more willing to come into the Wales camp, even though they're based in England. Why? When like Matthew Prothero, for okay. example. Why when the England seniors got on 22 grand a game? And well, Wales, if they win, on between 10 and 12 grand? Well, there's more money in English rugby. Yeah, I know, but surely the money's a, a factor. Like Nathan News was likely to play at number eight for England against Wales. He's Fiji-born. Mm. And he's, you know, he's admiring players, totally up front. And honest, he's one of the first players I've heard saying, no, I'm switching allegiance because of the money. Well, I think that, that interview as well will have only added grist to the mill in terms of this idea of increasing the residency qualification from three to five Which years. I'm all for. Which we're all, I think we're all, I think we're all in agreement yeah. on that one. My, my only issue with it, my, not my only one, but one of You've my issues... You've got a lot of issues, Matthew. I know. <laughs> oh, cheers, Matt. Uh, you know, i got a complex coming here. Um, no, but one of my issues with this is they're saying, oh, we get them in the system and they'll be wowed by our facilities. Have these guys not been to England and seen the facilities they've got on offer over there? They, they are no, you know, there's great facilities at, down at the Vale, don't get me wrong. But yeah, well, Simon said earlier know, in the conversation, you've got a fantastic facility at Hartbury, etc., etc., which is attracted out boys across the border. So it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Have we seen their facilities? Um, uh, England, they've got, uh, don't they train? Where do they, they train? Where do they train the 20s for England trains? Do they train at Bath University? Well, there's Bath, a fantastic sure, facility. There's, sure. uh, you know, the senior team where they train. I think they the argument is, Marby, the argument would be, I think, having spoken to Gary John, is at least now we're getting them in through the door. My trouble is that they can they can leave they can come in have a look and then go back. That's well, what they might do. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, if they are Welsh, if they are from Wales, they and they are Welsh. Even if they go play for uh, uh, clubs or English academies and all, if they're true Welshmen, they'll want to play for Wales anyway. But there's a wider issue here, isn't there? I did I mean, you were isn't that, it's a wider issue. I did a piece a couple of weeks ago about all the Welsh qualified players who are playing professional rugby in um, in England. I got about 97 of them in the end. I spoke, while well, in the course of doing that piece, I spoke to Paul Turner, who's known heavily involved in the Exiles programme, spoke to Gary and John as well. And I think it is fair to say that we are monitoring all of these players much cl- more closely than in the past. And they're starting at, Paul Turner is looking at them sort of from 16, and he's got good links, obviously, he's been based in England for a large part of his career. And he's aware of them, and there's a very strong Exiles programme. Let me give you an example, Ollie Cracknell. Ollie Cracknell, who's just been named in the Wales squad, has done really well for the Ospreys this season, pushing hard. Um, you know, to break his way through into international rugby, he's part of the Welsh setup because he knew that his grandfather was from Llanelli. He went onto the WRU website and registered him as an exile, himself as an exile. That was then picked up by Rupert Moon, who was in charge of the North Wales rugby at the time. Got in touch with him, arranged for him to come and see the place at Colwyn Bay, play for RGC, went to the Ospreys, and the rest is history. Mm. So it shows that I think there is a very much. Um, the WRU is trying to keep tabs especially on the younger Welsh qualified players in England and I think this is part of that uh, as a drive to try and see and get back. but I'll tell you a little apocryphal story I know of one player who is Welsh qualified um, who um, the union were quite keen on to see if they, they could maybe get him to come on board and to the Welsh set it would be, he's in a position I think would be an advantageous to Welsh regional rugby and uh, he's only played a handful of games um, in the English club system. They approached him and told that £200,000 a year was the request. So this That's is what, up against, this is what we're up against. Uh, you know? Agents, players who demand so much. But at least and, and, and of course, the other thing they're up against 
his premiership squads have so many English players which in like, their squad. Which is what I alluded so, to with, so, the, with so the status. You know, you know. It is a cast, real cast 22. It is. It? So there's, that's, Andy's right, and that comes back to the whole thing, and that's the problem. Welsh boys in England, English clubs, knew that if they tied themselves to Wales, it would present problems yeah. because they wouldn't be they wouldn't be what the English clubs wanted because they have to subscribe to quotas of players who are English qualified or still have potential to be English because they've got the potential to be English qualified. Kalan is a perfect example. So is this this shift in um, philosophy now is this in place from now? So the, is right now is our A team our second? No not from right now from last December. Oh, see, well, so, is there any eighteen game scheduled in the foreseeable future? No. What do you mean by foreseeable, Matthew? Well, in the next twelve months, preferably. Uh, no, maybe not just in, not quite in the next twelve months. Well, this is a problem. No, actually, they might be able to try and get fixture against Georgia, Georgia or, or Russia maybe, or something like yeah, that. But the point they're making is that in the autumn, there's a, a heck of a lot of Europeans tier two teams over, and it might be an opportunity to have an A game then. Why don't we just wait until there was the opportunity? The problem is they'll have an A game then, unless you're as a warm up for the, uh, the tour of Samoa and a match against Tonga, whatever that's going to take place. Mm. Is any? It depends on many places. Of course, Wales get on the Lions tour, but if they had a bumper, if Wales happen to win the Six Nations and have a bumper load on the Lions tour, that way that uh, tour to Samoa will really be a A tour, won't it? it? I mean, it is the problem. The age-old problem is when do you fit these games in? That's what it always comes back to. I know. In my opinion, at the very worst, it's a bad planning and lack of foresight. At best, it's bad timing, like you said, trying to fit these these fixtures in. But I think this announcement could have been made after this under twenty six nations is coming up now. Mm. You know, because it's, it's my like, fault. I asked the question. Blame me. Blame me. It's my fault. But on a rugby front, it'd be fantastic if Wales. They were playing matches because you've got these seven uncapped lads in the what foot senior Welsh squad now, and it Wales A is a vehicle where we really need to see them no, play. I, I think I'm all for eight teams. I just don't like the way this has been this is being brought in as we are, and maybe you were to blame. Yeah, I am in favour of eight teams. I am in favour of eight teams. They're the slight offshoot, but it's the Wales in the twenty squad. They obviously won the Grand Slam this year. This is going to be a slightly tougher season because they've kind of a lot of the players who are in that set sure. have, yeah. have moved on. I think there was seven by memory serves maybe seven survivors from last year in the squad so there's a lot of young talent coming through which is exciting um, and a lot of new names to watch out for I spoke to Jason Strange last week and he's expecting high hopes of a lot of them but obviously some of them have got, are in the first year of two years so it's going to be plus a tougher campaign yeah, this year you know after last year when the under-20s obviously did so well um should we sort of temper our expectations a bit this year? Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, of course you would, because it's the first year. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, it's the first year of a two-year uh, two cycle. But one thing Wales does, is always produce what I call natural rugby players, because it's in the genes of... Uh, of uh, kids and all year, and they do, you know, they just know what to do when they pick up a rugby ball. It's just inbred into them. Mm. All right, then um, let's move on to uh, London Welsh. Not not great news coming out there. They now cease to exist as a professional club. Um, what does that mean for them? So yeah, I spoke to um, uh, someone who has uh, been heavily involved in London Welsh over the years and the week, and um, I know they've been having meetings this week. To give the facts of the matter, there's obviously been financial issues at the, the, the Exiles for quite a while. They went into an involuntary liquidation and obviously waiting then to see what the RFU's stance was going to be. The stance has come back as a pretty hard one. They mm. basically said that they no longer exist as a professional club and they cannot continue in the championship. 
And now Sonny Parker, who Andy I know spoke to recently from Wales Centre, who was team manager at London yeah. World, was very unhappy with yeah, the way the news that. came out. And effectively, team members were finding out on Twitter that their club no longer existed and they weren't going to be playing in the cha- anymore this season. They That's were very. Forward, it wasn't wasn't it? great. Yeah, the rules are clear. If your club goes bankrupt, which the professional Hamill London Welsh. Uh, did you get kicked out of the championship yeah, and they, you get relegated? But to the they should have been allowed yeah. to tell the players. Yeah, so well, of course they should have. But anyway, so what? Uh, the other issue as well shouldn't they have been allowed if they because they formed another company and all I believe and it, they carried on playing, didn't they? Even though they lost some players and done quite well, shouldn't they have been allowed to see out the season? Because what's going to happen in England now? The clubs they played against already, say clubs have, uh, have beaten London well, so they're going to lose those points. I think so. Could upset their own league. All the results are going to be expunged. I think, aren't they? Um, the, I know that. Um, the, the, the kind of situation now they're facing is obviously you know continuing as a kind of social club you know sorry an amateur club and let's going, one, going right the way down go, the system let's get one thing straight mind the London Welsh Amateur Club John Dawes etc John Taylor Mervyn Davis Gerald Davis etc play for is still in business he still runs loads of teams uh, you know and uh, they play regularly every Saturday afternoon those teams so they are ineffective Effectively, what London Welsh was, it was a, it, they set up a company to run a professional arm. be no difference to like Cardiff Blues. If Cardiff Blues went out of business, Cardiff IRC would carry on because Cardiff Blues, I believe, is yeah, a different company. It is. So the, the London Welsh team, as we know it now, if it continues playing in the mm-hmm. league structure, presumably have to go all the way down. I think we looked at the, the, the setup. It might be the yeah. Middlesex League or even yeah, London yeah. Southwest, old old Tiffinians and so on they'd be yeah, playing against. Yeah, I think the amateur team is already playing in that sort of league, mind. And, uh, you know, with the, the aim of the amateur, I know uh, someone who's in, uh, as well who's uh, involved on like, a uh, committee up there, and he says they what they want to do is copy Richmond, who've worked their way back up through the rankings. It's taken them, yeah. them a long yeah, time. Yeah, I know, but it's taken them quite up, up the league. End of the day, London Welsh didn't have the crowd support and all, so maybe now they will find their so true level. So are you saying that you don't th- think that the... London Welsh team that's played in the championship will exist at all and it'll no, just be the just social club. the social club. And what, is they, what, is their the t- what is the amateur club called? London Welsh. They, what they league, are London what Welsh. What league do they play in? They're in, uh, I think they're in one of the Middlesex, but they are, they are, you know, they're not in the bottom division as far as I know. Mm. You have to check, obviously, on all that. But it's bit, what I told it's business as usual for the London Welsh rugby club. It's just the professional arm. Yeah, well, well, I was told that they were hoping that they would be able to continue with effectively the side that's been playing in the championship and mm. not have to go all the way down. But yeah, we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait. They will have to wait and see. Well, yeah, judging by the way the RFU have been dealing with it so far, I wouldn't. Um, well, I think they've gone by the rules, haven't they? Well, um, yeah, yeah, but they've been ruling quite, yeah, yeah, quite yeah, firmly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, aside from anything else, you know, we have to feel sympathy for those players whose, oh, yeah. whose livelihoods now, uh, you know, well, on the line yeah. really. I feel a sympathy in mind for myself for the uh, London Welsh. Uh, benefactor who spent millions and millions over the years to prop them up Mr. Ba- Mr. Basildon chemicals the only way you make a small fortune at a rugby is to start with a big one <laughs> oh, how long has he been brewing that <laughs> he's <laughs> right though he's, he's right cooking out with oil you just pouring money down a black hole I'm afraid if you're involved in rugby yeah alright well let's um, let's move on then to the Anglo-Welsh Cup this upcoming this weekend um one of the games that jumps out is the Ospreys game at the Brewery Field, which we are sending two reporters to. We big are game. mob-handed this week. <laughs> yeah, Reese Webb, watch. Reece Mr. Webb, Webb is. And that's why it's a big game. Reese Webb, talk to me about how big it is. You know, what, what has he got to do to prove himself? They played well in Newcastle last week. It was his first match since being stretched off against Australia mm. last autumn. He's, uh, he's renowned for his quick recovery from his, the various injuries. He's had serious injuries. Uh, 
uh, in his uh, career. Uh, you know, we saw last year missed the uh, missed the World Cup for a serious uh, foot injury. Came back during the Six Nations, played a game or a game and a bit for the Ospreys, and he's straight back in the Wales team. Uh, I think Wales have released him this week uh, because they wanted to have some game time because they see him starting against Italy uh, a week on on Sunday. Webb, I reckon he'll play about 60 minutes at the most. If he's going really well, the Ospreys are winning. They'll loof him off, and uh, I think he'll be straight into that Wales number nine jersey. I'll yeah. tell you what, I've not, in all the years I've been covering this game, I've not known anyone like Reese Webb for an ability to have a really serious injury and to back. come back, hit the ground running from day one. This is the third or fourth time he's done it, you know. Yeah. He has to take your hat off. He must work like no one's business. Like anything <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> tra- in training, you know. And it's it's remarkable. And you you know, for other players, you'd say, well, you know, that Six Nations is going to come too soon. But with Webb, you wouldn't write it off. I think Andy's right. If he comes through and has a sharp game against Bristol, it is, isn't it? You know, there's a real good chance of not only being involved against Italy, but starting. Well, he's a class operator, isn't he? And, and, then, and then, if you have Reese Webb anywhere near his best, what does that mean for the Lions scrum off pecking order? Well, there's a, a big contest going on in it. I think, uh, personally, to me, Conor Murray's the, the favourite. Ben Young's in the form of his life. And you've got Reese Webb. Three days. You're free days. You're free. No, he won't be a Lions scrum half. <laughs> Scotland got a better scrum half than him. Um, is Reese Webb at his best to start in that first test? No, he won't. Yes, he For the Lions, at his best. No, he won't. I'll tell you why. Because Conor Murray's a more accurate kicker out of hand. And he's a, a, a class player, reads the game, uh, uh, I think, a little bit better than Reese at the I moment. Think experience. Yeah. Webb's gonna have to oh, find it. Webb Webb is going to have to find his form of two years Webb, ago. Murray's been extraordinary this season. He really has. Uh, Young's is playing well, man. He was dynamite in the autumn and in Australia in the summer. The ultimate testament of Murray. Now he's like you, Matt. Ben Young's. He says he's playing better because he's slimmed down. Is this the, uh, mind you, the Conor Murray? That, was it is Mike Phillips? Comments about my weight. Mike Phillips describing him, Conor Murray's the poor man's Mike Phillips. Oh, <laughs> Mike, Mike was Mike was at his best when he, you know, looked like he He's good value, Mike. Oh, isn't he? he is always Can't good walk past the mirror without looking in it. <laughs> um, the other fixtures this weekend: Dragons Newcastle on Sunday. Sunday, I believe. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dragons picked in here first, uh, yeah, first what, what choice uh, team. Of, what do we make of this? Because isn't this competition more of a development competition? Am I looking at it the wrong way? You know. Well, they they have won a game in the tournament, aren't they? So maybe they think they can still qualify for the uh, uh, for the knockout stage. They got to go some to qualify, mind. They they got yeah, have results go their way. Yeah, they've gone a long way in it in the past, haven't they? Yeah, but they got have results, but win this with a, you know, if they can get a big win. Mm. Um, Maybe they think they're in business. Maybe they think they need to keep their best uh, players uh, ticking over and get some wins to build the confidence. Scarlett's have picked a reasonably strong side as well. I mean, the team who's got a real a real development side out is the Blues, and and they're playing against the sales side that's got a lot of first teamers. The aforementioned Mr Phillips is in there, you know, and yeah. they're a strong team. So um, they've lost their first two games, the Blues, so... That's going to be a heck of a hard one. Um, is it fair to say the Blues have washed their hands of this tournament? They <laughs> got Pele to come off. Who? Pele. Pele Cowley. Well, he's knocking on a bit to start a rugby career. I think it's fair to say that the priorities for the Blues at the moment are, number one, getting in the top six of the Pro 12 and also giving that Gloucester game a real bash. I think the other tournaments are somewhere down the park. So, to answer your question, is <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it's diplomatic there. That certainly wasn't a Donald Trump type answer. <laughs> that was more of a Barack Obama diplomacy type. This ain't a political show. Let's not let's not go there. So yeah, um, Dragons Newcastle on Sunday, Ospreys Bristol Saturday, uh, Sale Cardiff Blues on tonight, and Scarlet Saracens tonight as well. 
Um, next time we come to you, I think we're going to call it a day there, chaps, unless anybody's got anything they want to add. I know you're looking at, you've got to go on your train, you have. I, I, I know don't, you Don't worry, you know. Matt. Don't worry. I have <laughs> arranged other transport because I'm heading to Bridge End tomorrow. So time is not an issue to me. If you want to carry on, <laughs> we, we shall. No, let's, not, uh, let's not carry on. Hey, next time you come to us, it's going to be a big day because it's going to be a Wales team announcement for the first game of the Six Nations. What day so is that, Matt? That's on a Thursday. Thursday. Right. Yeah, you might not be graced by my presence on Matt because I think I might head up. No, oh, I am. It's the following week. I'm going to head up to Penny or Park for the England team announcement to play Wales. So oh. I will be. Round for the so, so for, for Wales is Italian. I can always do it myself and just impersonate. Tell me to that. So yeah, it's going to be a big one next week. Um, so thanks for joining us today, chaps, and thanks to you guys for listening at home. Um, don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. So head over there, give us some stars and some likes and all that jazz, and uh, we'll carry on producing these podcasts for you. Um, you can follow all the build-up and uh, live updates from tonight's and this weekend's regional matches and you'll get all the fallout and reaction from them on Wales Online.